Hello, we've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today, we will be discussing Book 1, Episode 12, The Storm. Today on our panel, we have Charles, Corey, and I'm Lindsay. Now, stepping up to the mic is our wonderful host, Mark. Yes, thank you for that intro, Lindsay. And this is, of course, Thoughts from Aunt Wu. And today, we have The Storm. And I just want to say up top, coming off of last week's episode where they had a slightly shorter podcast and, you know, didn't have much to say, we're going to be here for a while. So strap in. So I don't want to waste any time. Let's get right to this episode. So Lindsay, you did the intro. Initial thoughts, go. Yo, this episode is so deep. Like, so many things go through your head. It has the, obviously, like, the comedic aspects of it, but... Oh my gosh, it just gets so deep, so quick, and I always, I was even just thinking about it this morning, it's almost like this episode I feel like is almost a really good yin and yang kind of relationship in which it shows a more innocent side to Zuko, something that you never really see about like innocent wide-eyed Zuko of saying, I just want to to go to this meeting and be the best person and honor my father and like it just shows you such a, a lighter side to him and in retrospect it also leads to a kind of a slightly darker side for Aang in which it really he has to really face his type of demons and this whole idea of abandonment in both his responsibilities and his people and I think it just it plays off of each other so well in this episode yep Charles. Yeah. Um, there's obviously the dual comparison with Aang and Zuko. I really like how they made their backstories um, kind of the opposite of how they are today. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, sorry, not how they, how they are today, but like opposite of each other still. Um, Zuko got into trouble for wanting to, you know, serve his nation, learn how to be a better ruler, and for being too aggressive in that attempt, for trying to take on too much and not knowing that it wasn't his time. Aang got in trouble by, well, I mean, not understanding what he needed to do, but also running away from the responsibility. So one is, like, jumping towards it, one is, like, running away from it, it ends up Mm -hmm. badly for both of them. And then that, like, counter-reflects into their attitudes now, right? Um, Aang is still... He's still kind of run. I mean, he's not running, but he's not really going. And we've talked about this. He's not really going gung ho for it either. And he's still got those demons, as you said. Um, while Zuko is like half and half. Uh, I mean, in this episode, right? He was like, "Oh, uh, finding the Avatar is more important than any of your individual safety." But then in the past, he was like you can't do that, these are our loyal soldiers, and the end of the episode, he doesn't pursue, but it's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, Also, just the back and forth, how they switch scenes, and keep having the uh, swaps be visually similar, so like, they're around the can, I mean, there's a lot to say. It's great. It's a great episode. Corey? Well, I say the same thing most episodes, except for Divide, but I absolutely loved this episode. 
with every fiber of my being, uh, re-watching it um, earlier today was an absolute joy in like every sense of the word. It was like, as, and it's funny, Charles said a lot of what I wanted to say in terms of like analyzing it. Like, it was really nice to see how the, the, they're right. The, what, what got them to where they are today, they were complete opposites. You, you got a selfless Zuko who wanted the best for his, the men and the Fire Nation and Aang, who was more afraid and being a little bit more selfish because he didn't want to give up his childhood and he was scared of losing everyone that he um, has loved and uh, knew. So it was polar opposites and they, they turned into completely different people as the results. And you could even see in present day, Iroh like, still sees everything in Zuko. Like he has complete faith in him and he knew that he knew that sitting with his the, the men and letting the men know about uh, Zuko's backstory would, would help settle nerves on the ship because, you know, they were very angry at each other at the time. And it was nice seeing Zuko take a complete 180 towards the end of the episode on how he felt. And he, you know, literally seeing the Avatar and then deciding his men's lives were more important. It was overall just such a good... It's like 101 on how to do plot development and character development in a show. It's, it's a phenomenal episode. Yeah, I agree with everything that you guys have said. Um, and I'm going to kind of take a different, different track here in that, for one, I don't remember this episode being that amazing from back when I first saw it. It was a good episode, but you kind of, okay, It's you can see some things past, you can see some of... Um, I, you know, some of Zuko's past, but, you know, whatever, it's a past episode. But now, looking back on it, completely changed. This episode is just unbelievably uh, interesting and, and has so much, um, so deep and so many different levels. Um, something that I'm going to talk about a lot, and I just want to mention here at the top, I think this is definitely the best um, cinematographic episode. The, the, this, the scene construction, the blocking, and I know blocking is movement of actors and these are animations, but still, is really, really well done. I honestly think you could watch this episode without dialogue and have a pretty general idea of what's going on. Sure, you're not going to get every little detail, but I think that just the, the staging of most of the characters is done so well that it, it ca- captures all of um, all of what you're seeing and all of and all of these things. So we're gonna get into our episode discussion. Um, and right off the bat, I, I have to say um, it's very clear they knew what they were doing with this episode. The the music uh, that they set the tone for in this episode, and then the subsequent way they construct this nightmare uh, before we see. Um, and going to the storm is really, really well done. Um, something that I've actually genuinely liked about this also is that they don't hide the fact that this is a dream. Like way too often we get now like these stories where they like feel like they have to, oh, we're going to make it seem like this is reality. And then, oh, they woke up. But no, they right from the get go, you see, you know, Sokka flying. Mm-hmm. Clearly this is not happening. And it allows us to not get caught up in worrying about the reality of the situation and instead realize that this is just about Aang's mind. And for an episode that, in reality, until the last, like, two minutes, is basically all about Aang's mind and all about mentality, um, at least on the Aang side of the story, I I love that they don't 
try to trick us with some kind of fake dream. It's just, no, this mm-hmm. is a dream. We're talking about Aang's mental state, and this is what we're doing. My personal favorite from the dream was the giant flying Momo that I really wish we yes. had more of. I just need a flying Momo. <laughs> I mean, well, Momo, Momo flies does. a lot. He just doesn't. I, I need yeah. a giant flying Momo, though. <laughs> we don't have that many giant flying Giant Momos, flying true. lemurs. Um, something else I want to talk about from just the very beginning. Um, I really like the way they set up the um, Kiazzo and the former and the rest of the Air Nation on one side, and Katara and Sokka on the other side. That we very often see just through staging, and I'll talk about this way more later. But even here, where we sort of see Kiazzo disappears, and then immediately it's popping back with. The new friends. And it's you can see how Aang has lost, has this huge hole and this huge void from his the loss of, of the Air Nation, but now has these new friends. And I think they do a very good job of of highlighting that without really saying it, but just actually putting it through the, the staging and through the way the scenes are constructed. Yeah, I, I kind of noticed that kind of same thing too of the values that Aang now has. It's not just about his past. It's now also, like, what he holds on to. His friendship with Katara and Sokka. On a fl- so then we get... Oh, oh, oh go ahead. I was going to say, on, a, on the, the flip side of the whole dream sequence, it was nice to see... It was... To me, it was nice to see how everything besides going on on Aang's side how everything is just connected to like the storm because obviously the storm is why he's in this predicament today so I, I just I like everything it's like everything rhymed in this episode if that makes sense to you starting with like the beginning it was really like nice to see how everything was interconnected the way, the way I think I would say that is I think this episode had a really good rhythm to it that there was this nice like you kind of could feel the way the story was pu- like constantly pulling you towards this um, both the the, the guitar, both the um, Ang and Zuko stories, both seem to have like this really nice pull. We're kind of pulling towards each other, and then we'll get to it at the end. But I liked it. Kind of in the end, they do kind of cross paths. Like this sort of these these stories do seem to be pulling in these very specific directions. Um, we get our second. I think this is the second time now we've seen the uh, storm. Um, the scene with mm-hmm. Ang Ang becoming getting trapped in the iceberg, and we're gonna see it again later in this this episode even. Um, and I think that it's good that we continually see that because it is like the defining feature of this world right now is Ang was trapped in an iceberg for hundred years. So I think that there it's good that they understand how important that is, and and we're gonna see it a few times to really understand like this is a very important moment. Um, Ang wakes up and. Obviously, this is a very major episode between sort of Katara and Aang and seeing Katara um, understand Aang's feelings and understand uh, being aware of Aang's feelings. And we see it right here where, you know, Aang wakes up, is, um, you know, visibly shaken from this from this dream. Sokka is kind of joking around a little bit and he has his little, you know, his lines about, you know, he had his own dream where food is eating people. <laughs> but you can see Katara very quickly... She sees something's wrong. She understands something's wrong and is trying to, in some way, be there for Aang. But Aang doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to get into it. Um, and we're going to see throughout this episode, Katara showing her importance in the, 
in the role of being Aang's primary caretaker um, because he just he needs it. He's especially on an emotional level. He's so um, fragile and so damaged from everything that's happened. I mean, I wouldn't discount Sokka there either. Uh, I I know he makes the he talks about oh food ate people we don't go to them but like maybe I give the characters too much of benefit of the doubt but I always thought that was like a, oh haha let me joke and then take their mind off of whatever you know whatever shitty thing happened. Mm. Mm. But I agree. With, it's an interesting perspective, but I don't. I, I mean, know. but generally, yeah, I agree with the point. Katara is for sure the uh, primary support for Aang emotionally. And, yeah, the episode does really make that clear. Mm-hmm. Also, where are they? <laughs> um, I don't know. There's some kind of fishing village in the Earth Kingdom is the only way I think I can They're just... by the ocean. I mean, they were just at the divide, so who the hell knows where they are? <laughs> what happened? I, how, we don't even know how long it's been since then. Like, come I, mean, I don't on, think the location of the episode matters at all. It just needed to be by water, obviously. No, no, it, do- it, doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. It's, wait, 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 just... hold on. I I sent this on the group message a couple weeks ago, and it was a map of each oh, place yeah. they they are in each episode. <laughs> Oh yeah, well we'll find that at some well, point. Well, I'm finding we'll, it we'll right keep now. Keep talking about so the episode. Keep, keep, keep talking. Going. I'm finding it. Um, so then we we switch over uh, to the Zuko side, and we can see um, kind of an interesting change for Iroh. Um, we've seen Iroh, and as great as a character he is, and I and I genuinely like him. For the most part, he has been somewhat not comic reliefy, but he's been kind of taking a back seat because. You know, we can sort of argue how important does he actually think that this mission is. Um, there's been a lot a lot more humor attached to Iroh's scenes. Um, and then with the occasional moments of, like, epicness. And I like... Um, this is the first moment where we get to see Iroh sort of actually... Not giving orders per se, but showing that he's a little bit more... Really does have the gravitas and have the power that he needs. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, that's great to see. And you can see him, like, he, fe- he can feel that the storm is calling. He actually smells that the storm is coming. And, like, immediately he's like, we need to move. We need to do something. And, yes, Zuko's in charge. This is Zuko's ship. But at least Iroh takes some form of a stand. Yeah, it was interesting also to... You can easily tell the type of respect Iroh commands just in telling anyone really anything what to do. They're all just like... Yes, like, we, we understand, like, we respect you and everything. So it's definitely interesting, and obviously because of it's the way that he treats his, the crew and everything, but it, it, it's interesting, though, to see, like, already the relationship that he has with everyone because of his reputation and because of, like, all that type of elements to it in comparison to Zuko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... And what's interesting about, um, you know, Zuko's show here when he says that, you know, this hunt for the Avatar is more important than any individual safety. Um, At the time, I kind of, or at the first time I saw this episode, and even when I watched this episode today, um, I thought, okay, this is Zuko kind of being a bit of a dick and he's kind of an upset person and whatever. 
But rethinking about it more, I actually came to kind of an interesting point about that, that to some extent, the thing that got him in trouble was speaking out against a plan that said put the lives of new recruits ahead of the mission at hand defeating the Earth Kingdom. And if you believe that the Fire Nation is righteous and you have to do everything for your nation and capturing the Avatar not just is the only thing that can ha- help Zuko, but if you if you go a step further and think that Capturing the Avatar is the only way to truly win this war and win this for the for your nation. Then there is an argument to be made that yeah, we're we have a mission. Who cares if the weather's bad? Your safety. You're you're a soldier. Your safety isn't the most important thing. We need to keep pressing on. And I think it's interesting that you sort of see Zuko being forced to kind of make a similar decision to the one that got him in trouble. Although obviously the speaking out part notwithstanding, but the this is the same kind of a, a calculation that was was being presented, and I think that you can kind of see Zuko be like, "No, I'm. I was told by my father I need to be strong. I need to make the decisions that are that are best for the nation, and that's what I'm going to do, regardless of what that means for my crew, and regardless of whether I think that that's right or wrong." That's one interpretation. Uh, under that interpretation, you would have said he would have teamed up with Zhao a long time ago, and this would have been nabs in the bag, no? Well, I'm, I'm not saying that there isn't a, a pride and a Zuko wanting to do this for himself, and eventually he does. I'm not I'm not saying that that's entirely what we're talking about, and, and that what I'm, all I'm saying, though, is I feel like there's there's a part of Zuko who in the back of his mind is thinking, like, how can I be the person my father wants me to be. And Ozai would have done, 100%, we can agree that Ozai would have said, press on for the Avatar, I don't care about anyone's safety. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so, I, I feel like by definition I have to say no. Because Ozai doesn't, consider the Avatar a viable threat? Mm, Alright, let, let me let me, let me me re- rephrase that way and put it in a different way. Azula 100% <laughs> would have oh, no. <laughs> pressed on. Right? Alright. I'll give you that one. Yes. What I'm... All I'm saying is I, yes, I think that in this moment, Zuko is, his pride is getting the better of him, and he's giving orders, and he's kind of being a bit of an asshole, and I, I think that's all true. I just think that there's a little bit more subtlety where where there is a sort of kind of weird argument in parallel to the whole, is, is my mission more important than, um, than, than individual safety? I, did, I, I think what happened at the beginning of the episode is there was no visible signs of a storm. So I feel like any young commander would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Our goal is to fi- find the Avatar. And at the end of the episode when, like, shit really hit the fan, that's when Zuko stepped up. And I think if that storm started at the beginning of the episode, I don't think he would have went in unless, like, he was really being taunted to go in. And here's another thing. If you think about the entire episode, nothing happened to Zuko between before the storm hit and 
after he decided to rescue his crew and back off the Avatar, all that's happened is Zuko talking to the men down below. I wrote. Zuko could have been doing anything else. So no real change happened in the present day with Zuko. So I think the beginning of the episode was just a matter of Zuko not believing there was a serious enough storm to stop them from pressing on. But he did have a fu- There was the fight. I yeah, mean, there was the fight because he thought he was being disrespected from his men and he, he, he said one too many things and he has a temper. But again, nothing changed with Zuko. He wanted to push in because he didn't see visible signs of a storm. That's the last you see of him until the storm actually hits and his men are in danger. And then he decides to turn around when he realizes it's way too dangerous and go into the eye of the storm. Well, we, we see meditate too, to be fair. Yeah, but uh, again, he hasn't. He didn't have any real talks with Iroh. He didn't talk to his men. The men didn't apologize. So all that's happened between the beginning and the end is the storm really got bad, and he realized that his men are actually in danger. So he went to the eye of the storm instead of chasing the Avatar. No, I I I agree with that, and I think that seeing the situation fundamentally changed his mind. What I'm just saying is that I I think that it's. It's more complicated than just Zuko being brash. I think that there's a lot more going on with Zuko um, that I didn't notice at first. um, That we just begin get hinting at, hinted at now, and we'll eventually see a ton more of as we we get a deeper look into Zuko's character. Um, And I, to some degree, this is a bit of a. I understand that this is a little bit of a stretch, and I'm not like. I don't think this is everything. I don't think this is like the entire point of the of, of this scene. It just it seems like it's a little bit more complicated than just Zuko's a young commander and just said fuck it. Again, I think the episode has to be looked at in the lens that the writers wanted us to take a look at the episode in. It was we as the audience were the crew of the ship on that arc, and then we in the episode were Katara. And we were learning about the backstories of two of the major characters in the show. And if you think about it, like Aang sure had a, a turnaround when he talked it through with Katara. But uh, I, again, I don't, I don't think Zuko really... It, it was the men who, whose mind changed about their, their, you know, the captain. Not really anything to do with Zuko. But I think... I, I, yes, I, I agree with that. I'm saying that I think that Zuko... It's easy to be brash and have that bravado when it everything looks okay. It's a lot. It's a very different thing to see your men. It's very easy to say, "Oh, the safety of the crew doesn't matter when everyone seems to be safe." It's a very different thing to look someone in the eye as they're falling off a boat and say, "Your safety doesn't matter." So I I agree with you on that point. I I'm just kind of adding a little no, bit. But to I, it. But, uh, sure, I would agree with you. But again, he rescued the guy, which is one thing. But then the thing that really stood out to me was he sees the Avatar after he's rescued, and instead of pressing on, he went to the Eye of the Storm. Yes. I, yes, I, I know. Uh, it just... Yeah. I mean, a lot of Zuko's character, right, throughout the entire series is the balance between his personal demon, his father, basically, or his concepts of his father and his ideal child, and uh, the reverse positive influ- influence of Iroh, who's been trying to, like, oh. make Zuko into, you know, a decent human being with understanding of how to respect people above and below your station, how to, you know, what and principles what... to live by. Actually, you know what something I just thought about now that I'm talking this through with you guys? 
-hmm. when Zuko, as a young younger Zuko, tried to be noble and think of other Fire Nation soldiers, he got super punished for it, and it literally ruined his life. So I think the Zuko we see now is a result of that, where he's hesitant to think of others before like his own like honor and everything, because when he did, it literally ruined his life. So I think... Well, that, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a cool way to look at it, yeah. But... Um. Yeah. I'm more hesitant about what you're saying about how this change happened for him throughout the episode. I'm not sure if that's what you are saying because I don't think. No, 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 no. That's that's not that's not all I'm saying. What I'm saying is when 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 Zuko says the safety of the crew doesn't matter, um, the capturing the Avatar is more important than any individual safety. He is in some way thinking back to the last time I put the needs of soldiers ahead of the needs of the fire nation i got my face burned yeah and i agree that's what i'm saying i think you see this constant struggle because i think the real zuko is the zuko we saw in the war room and what we see now is a result you know of what is the zuko trying to be what his father wants he's yes. try, he's putting mm -hmm. on airs to be the the the, the perfect son so to speak yeah. And Iroh sees the old Zuko, and I, that's why Iroh sees yeah. him all the time. Yeah. And on, on what Charles said um, about that, I mean, the line from Iroh in um, The Avatar and the Fire Lord is, evil and good are always at war inside you, Zuko. That is your legacy. And that's, that's it. That's Zuko's legacy. Um, and speaking of Iroh and, and the wisdom of Iroh, um, in general, I think this is really, really great from Iroh. And what I love, though, is we they the, suddenly the storm clouds have come. Iroh, you know, smelled it. He knew he was right. Everyone, you can anyone can tell Iroh was definitely going to be right. And I like that Iroh doesn't be like, see, I told you a storm was coming. He's just like, lucky guess, because it's he understands his role in all this very well. Um, and then we get into the fight, and, and we've kind of talked a little bit about, um, about this in the beginning, but continuing on this with... You can see how quickly a nerve is touched with Zuko and, and his pride and honor issues just immediately boil out and you see how quick um, it turns into this, into this you know, um, staring contest. Mm -hmm. And then Iroh breaks it up and then this is another line where I, I, really, or I really love Iroh's delivery in this line because the tone that he has perfectly captures the balance between trying to be upbeat and be like we're all gonna feel better but having a, enough power in his voice that you can tell Iroh's kind of taking commands and I, I that line delivery I thought was was phenomenal yeah sorry thinking yeah. about early Iroh and voice acting is kind of saddening yes Yes, it is. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, the um, Iroh's voice actor, um, I know it's Mako. I forget it. Charles, what's his last name? Do you know? No, I forgot too. No. I, just... I know his first name is Mako, and <laughs> yes, that's where the name from Korra came from. A blemish Mako. upon his no. resume. Imatsu. Yeah. Um, a pretty legendary actor in his own right, and um, he passed away in the filming of mm -hmm. Book 2. So... Um, Unfortunately, that was the truth, and, and and some you can see just how good some of the voice lines were from Iroh in these first couple of 
uh, especially in this episode, I think. This is a completely unrelated tangent, but did you know he also played yeah. Aku? Ooh. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. funny you should mention that. I just rewatched episode one of Samurai Jack, and anyone listening to this has to see that. It's the best <laughs> episode I've ever seen in my entire life, uh, like an opening <laughs> cartoon. He also plays a noble lawyer, laureate on the West Wing. I'm say, ooh, a lawyer. Wing. Did not know Laureate, that either. Not a lawyer. He laureate lawyer. Yes, he sh- he sh- he shared the um, a Nobel Prize for economics with President Bartlett. Wow. Cool. Yep. Um. All right. So we spent a whole bunch of time on Zuko. So now we we switch back to Angs and and pretty much from this point on in the episode, it's it's going to be a lot of that. We're just going to be switching back and forth between these two stories. Um. So right off the bat, I want to talk a little bit about the the old man's reaction to Aang's disappearance. And this is the first time we've had anyone show any animosity towards Aang leaving. And on some level, I'm surprised we don't see more of it. Because Mm -hmm. Aang's job is to restore balance and protect the world. He disappears for 100 years and then suddenly he's back. And there's no... It's not like this is a small community where he can explain, yeah, he can explain to Katara and Sokka what happened and they can accept it. But for average person living somewhere in the world, you got to think that there's enough people who have given up on the Avatar or who hold some form of resentment towards the Avatar. And this is the first time we see it. And I don't particularly remember much of this at any other point in the show. And I'm, I'm surprised we don't have more of it. I would have expected... Um, a larger backlash towards Aang disappearing. Even though they don't know it's his fault, just you weren't there, the world has gone into complete chaos. Well, to be fair, this is 100 years later, mm-hmm. so I could see older people being upset while they were alive to see this really blow out of control without the Avatar being there. But, like, the younger generations, like anyone under 40 probably, or more than that, anyone under, like, seven, like you know, 60, 50, probably doesn't even can even imagine a world with the avatar saving everyone it's like this is just their life well yeah and and obviously we see it here with with someone who's older i understand that with the older generation but from a for the newer generation i would expect there to be a lot more like oh you're the avatar big deal what did what does that mean to me i've never seen an avatar do anything who cares and yet it seems like like we had in like in prison like haru who's this kind of young kid immediately says oh he's the avatar he's gonna bring balance to the world when it's like um, it, it creates this weird kind of dynamic with the mythology where on some level I agree with what you're saying Corey with like yeah the, the older generation they might be upset because they were expecting the Avatar to come back and he didn't but then it seems like the younger generation is still has this idea of the Avatar baked into into everything would, so it's, it's just interesting to see that. Would you have preferred he had been frozen for a thousand years instead of a hundred? No I'm not I, I mean, the, if you had been frozen, if the differences. What do you mean? Um, if like the weird part for you is that the older generation would, you know, not be happy with them because they would have uh, been alive, or mm-hmm. excuse me, you have to be really old, but you know, been alive or born really close to uh, when he disappeared. Sure. Um, but remember, if they, if for whatever reason, and we have no idea if this is true. They are passing down stories of the Avatar around the world, or the people of the world are passing the stories down. It's like, it's like telling a kid about Santa Claus, right? Or, 
I'm trying to think of what other folk tales we usually tell Easter about. Easter Bunny. No, I, wait, I did you actually? <laughs> okay, the Easter Bunny or the Great <laughs> Pumpkin. Like, you know, we we. It's like these people come every year and bring us presents. Hell yeah. <laughs> we're so if you see Santa Claus when you're a kid, you're so excited. Dude, like you can look up videos of little children meeting them. So it's like for people that are that lived through those times, yeah, they'd be really bitter. And we can see that or at least somewhat bitter and we can see that in this uh, old man. Um, but for other people who've just grown up with stories of, oh, this guy's gonna, this guy's responsible for saving the world, they're gonna come and put everything to rights, and then finding out that person's, you know, real, man, mm -hmm. I can totally understand why the younger generation would have hero worship, or yeah. you know, just be. Over no, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not, kind of in the okay, zone in which I understand exactly what you're talking about, Charles, and that whole idea of, like, well, the, oh my gosh, the, the savior is here. But at the same time, I feel like me personally, and this is just what what I feel like I my thoughts would be, I would be like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's awesome, we, the avatar is here. And at the same time, I'd be like, well, uh, who knows if avatar is actually going to stay, because he disappeared last time, so uh, not too reliable there. And I'd be, I'd be kind of pissed. I would be like, dude, what, what did, what, what have you been doing this whole time? Like, yes, you're here now, and I'm really happy about that. But seriously, like, you just like up and just disappeared for a hundred years, and that's why the world is like this now. Like, yeah, you're here now, but at the same time, there's stuff that you have to make up for. That's fair. Um. Yeah, that's that's what Lynn just said is basically uh, what I'm saying, and I'm I'm not saying that everyone should be like that. I I would expect that there's going to be plenty who still believe. You know, we saw it in the and and remember in the, the the very beginning of this show, in the end of Katara's intro, she says, you know, some many believe that the Avatar was never reborn and is gone for good, but I still have hope. I completely think that there would be people who would still mm -hmm. have hope, but I would also expect there to be more people who don't and who like this man, have a, a level of resentment. And it's just interesting because we don't see it much. Or you know, I, don't, I don't actually remember that if we ever see it again after this. Maybe we do and I'm mm -hmm. just forgetting. And if, you know, if, if it comes up, we'll, we'll talk about it then. But I don't remember that. So all I'm saying is this proves that this attitude exists somewhere in the world, but it's, very, it's not very widespread. That's fair. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also, do you think? Do you guys think? Oh, sorry, go on. Go on. Uh, I was going to say, like, an, an alternative interpretation is that uh, most of the people, you know, um, Team Avatar interacts with are, in some way or another, uh, fighting the Fire Nation. So there's kind of a difference mentally. There's kind of a difference between active or trying to be an active combatant and. Um, just like a normal person because one you're like looking for any opportunity right uh someone says they're the avatar they've come back you're like well shit it sucks that you've been gone this long but now that you're here that's great like uh god when they go to um bossing say and the earth king has him 
go into the avatar state in the arena or tries to force him into it in the arena or whatever? No, it's not in Bossing. It's not in Bossing. Oh, I'm remembering it's, it wrong. Um, My bad. It's it's the first episode of book two, the avatar state, mm-hmm. and it's general one of the generals who who tries to do that. They're up in the the northern part, tip of the Earth Kingdom. Yeah. So th- there's people like that, right? Who are like, yeah, we're excited now. Point weapon at you know enemy and use. Um, and since a lot of the people, I mean, we see a lot of civilians too, but, uh, since generally we also primarily, they interact with people that are, uh, active resistance, um, I, I, that could be part of why they, uh, we see less of the resentment. Mm-hmm. It is General Fong that, by the way, in case anyone wants to know. Cool. Any Corey. What were you gonna? Um, to go a little bit further, do you guys think um, Katara overreacted when she exploded on the old man, like, or do you think she was justified to try to defend him like uh, that? Um, I think she. I don't think. I think she oh, was ahead, just let's... being protective. I, I don't think it's really a justifying like need to justify that of like. I feel like she was almost like, "Old oh, man, you gotta calm down," like. Leave him alone. Yeah, I, I don't think that Katara blowing up has anything to do with the old man. I think that in, it's entirely aimed towards Aang. And even though she's sort of fighting with this guy, for her, this is about defending Aang and trying to keep him, protect his emotional state. Um, for me, this is a, is actually a pretty big uh, Katang moment because it's, it, it's, an, it's a sort of a chance that you can see how how much Aang has has impacted Katara and how much that she feels that she it, it is her responsibility to to defend him and, and to um, to state how how what he's done. And what's interesting is though, um, on the on this fight though, is we've spent the last, you know, eleven episodes, for the most part, a very common theme has been Wow Aang, you don't do anything. Wow Aang, you're completely useless. And it's interesting that Katara's like Aang has done nothing but help people since he's gotten back. It's like, well, not really, Katara. He's basically done nothing since mm. he's he helped back. people in the Great Divide. I don't. Oh, no, he just, did just, nothing. Just stop. <laughs> just he, stop. he told them a lie, and they believed it. That's you're right. You, you know what? You know what? We can stop the podcast. We're done. He he told that lie. He saved the world. Wow, the Great Divide was actually the saving point of the entire The finale was actually the series finale. (laughs) We didn't need a finale with Lord Ozai or anything. Oh, I've got words about that finale. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, I think we all do, but I'm not gonna... uh, Not today. This episode's gonna go long enough. (laughs) Um, Although, to continue making this episode go really long, first... I'm typing up my notes for this episode, and I paused the video at 24.02, just as ah, a time. good time. And, God, is Katara's facial expression just perfect. And I've said this a few times, but this show's facial expressions are so unbelievably good. Just the look that she has on her face, um, you can see that power in her eyes that she's, you know, fighting with this guy and really, you know, really strong. And also... The blocking in this scene, the, the, you have the old man who's, who's an Aang directly across from each other, but you have the old man towering over him with this scowl, and in so many ways you can see Aang just look really defenseless, and like he just, 
is completely checked out because he is. He's he, the words have really gotten to him, and he's upset. But then you have Katara, who's who's much closer to Aang, but you can see the way she's um, her. She looks a lot stronger, and she's looking up. And what I love about it, I said before, is that like just looking at this scene, I am a hundred percent sure of what's going on. This guy is clearly attacking Aang. Katara is clearly defending Aang. And I really love when you can tell, use visual storytelling like this to complement. Yes, we have the fight. Yes, of course, the dialogue is really important. But this is also really important too. And, and that's just, just really well done storytelling. Yeah, I agree. Um, Avatar's always been really great at using both words and visuals to tell stories. Like, everybody's really expressive. And that's mm-hmm. a, a big part of the show's charm. Um as an aside to the aside, you sure got the time right on that? 24. I mean, it's 2402 off of the DVD, so it might not be the same. Uh-huh. That's, that's the, that was the DVD timer on, on the second or third DVD of book one. So it could be... It's not the episode time because the episode is not 24 minutes. Yeah. Long, but, yeah, I was going um, that, That's the timer that I had on my computer when I hit pause. Uh, got gotcha. you. But yeah, we, we know the scene you're um, talking about, where she's... Yes. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, to Corey's point before, I I don't think... Like, if you took it from a completely logical standpoint, yeah, Aang kind of fucked up pretty bad. Uh, it's not like Katara's defense of him is really based on much, especially since, as we've said... He's been dicking around for most of the past 11 episodes. Uh, the only thing he's done was in a filler episode that has no bearing on anything ever again. And, well, okay, there's some other stuff, but... Uh, that aside, I don't think she, like... From that perspective, yeah, it's an overreaction. From, like, uh, this is my friend... I know more of his story than you do. I understand that he's just like, oh, you think of him as this legendary figure, but he's just a kid. Yeah, that's completely justified. Like, would you blame a 10-year-old for failing to save the planet? No, that, that's, that's not really how that works. Otherwise, um... Yeah. Otherwise... Yeah, no, I... Uh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, um... No, I think that, and and I think that the 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 intro to this show um, consistently shows it. Where you have, Aang, you know, the line is, um, you know, Aang's not ready. He's not ready to save anyone, but I believe he can save the world. And I think that there is some level of like Katara is just she believes in Aang's potential. She believes in him when it's not entirely based on reality, um, but she sees what Aang can become and sees um, the importance of it. And then on the other side, when, you know, I keep, we keep parking back to like, Aang does nothing. Aang in this episode has no idea what he's doing, yada, yada, yada. And I think that this episode and this, specifically this scene when Aang runs away now um, from the, from the old man is really important because it actually like finally gives us a reason to be like, oh, this is why he is not doing things like this is why this like he has this really important guilt he is a little bit afraid of 
of having to face the fact that he left and, and, and trying to like go out and change the world is in some ways admitting how much he, he messed up and, and, and how bad that that is, has happened. And, and you can see what that guilt has done to him and how when it's thrown in his face, he just can't take it and he runs away. Um, even though he's being defended, even though it's not like he's being, you know, bullied by like tons of people. It's just this one old man who his friend is standing up to, yet Aang just can't take it and he turns on, turns and runs away. And that's also a really nice like sort of parallel to we're going to later see Aang run away from his responsibilities. And you can kind of see this is a little bit of what Aang does. He gets, you know, when he gets really flustered and really stressed out, he kind of does run away from his problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually in the end he doesn't in the end he faces up to his you know his his fears and his responsibilities um but it's something that he needs to grow into um once we get into the the katara chasing after him um the rain the combination of the way the rain looks the music and the lighting of the scene um, when Katara's flying looking for Aang, I, I think is just close to perfection. It is, is so, it fits the mood, it fits everything perfectly. Um, it, it just, it's just great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, maybe, uh, I, I've looked maybe too much into it. I didn't really see it being more than anything else that we've already really seen in the show. Maybe I missed mm-hmm. it when I was watching it. Yeah, I mean, it's all, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's small, it's not like, you know, biggest, the biggest thing in the world, but it's just a, just a little detail. Um, once they get into the cave and, and Aang does start talking, um, once again, I, I said, I think I said this back in episode three, but the flashbacks, um, I love the way that they're lit and shot, where they have this, like, idyllic feel to them that you can, you can tell that these are memories and you can tell that Aang is looking back in some ways fondly, even though this is not the happiest of memories, you can still tell, like, there's this almost, like, really idealism attached to the old time of the airbenders. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, the most um, we're going to get of airbenders. We, it's the, the most airbenders we'll ever see until, um, you know, book three of Korra. And... I re- that I really love, and I, I genuinely enjoy this these scenes. Um, but even more than that, I just think that it, it shows what Aang's mind is like. That that these they're shot in this this like heavenly way. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. But also, I, I mean, I think it's shot in a heavenly way because you're in a uh, an air temple, so you're in the heavens anyway. But I and I also think it's shot in a heavenly way because it's a dream sequence. But I, I I do see your point. Yeah, the stylization of the flashback, even in a. Zuko's case too. It, it's just very well done. Although yeah. I just and both of them are hearkening back. I, I just gotta say right now, the other Airbender kids—they are such big jerkheads. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you're the Avatar. Yeah, yeah. You can't play with us. Like, no. We'll we'll, we'll get to that when we get to the we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, okay. Scene. Well, this made um, me mad. It's a little bit. It's a little <laughs> bit later. I understand. Uh, it's a little later. Um, another thing. It's a it's a small detail, but something that I just really find interesting is that you know you have ang teaching so quote-unquote teaching the other kids the air scooter and there's actually quite a bit of importance to that because of the fact that this is the technique ang and you know invented in order to become an airbending master um so there's a little bit of like this him teaching the air scooter is more than just oh it's a fun thing that they used to do like there's actually some degree of like 
historical significance to that that I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, and then betrayal because they wouldn't let him play with his own air scooter. Sorry. Yes, that is true. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I also I just love that we're getting we get little bits of Airbending mm-hmm. culture. Um, I personally I really love the episode of original Airbenders in in book three of Korra. Um, because it's it's like a full exp- exploration of airbending culture and, and the, the the practices that we get. And it's nice that we get a little bit of, a, of, of that here in, in, in this show where we don't – obviously, we, the show is titled The Last Airbender, but what does that mean? Like the fact that Aang is the last airbender is that – what's the significance to it? And this is, I think, important to show that. Like this, this entire culture, this entire way of life has been all but wiped out by the Fire Nation. And it is, on some level, Aang's responsibility not just to restore balance to the world by defeating the Fire Nation, but he also has the dream of rebuilding the Air Nation. And eventually that does come true. Um, and it is just nice to think that this is these scenes are now, after the events of Korra, possible once again. That through all of Avatar, this was all but a memory to Aang. This couldn't, you know, theoretically never happen. No, Zuko makes mention of that in Korra, too. Uh, when she's yeah. asking him about what would Aang's fondest dream have been. And then... Yeah. Hmm. Um, so a question I want to pose to you guys. Um, what do you guys feel about the toys as the sort of way to figure out the ava- who the Avatar is in... Um, and to some degree getting to the cent- like a, a pretty central question that like how much of the previous avatars exist within the current one events of Korra notwithstanding um, like it just it, it opens up interesting like philosophical questions about who Aang is and who the avatar is um, so what do you guys think about that I think it's fine for storytelling purposes but if you want to look at it in more of a critical way I think there should be more tests I think that could be, like, one of them, but I, I think something that important to find out who the reincarnation of the Avatar is should be <laughs> more complex than picking toys. Especially, like, what happened if the toys got destroyed or lost? You know, like, how would you ever find the Avatar? Well, I don't think this is the only way. I think this is but just... You, you never see another way. We only have one Avatar. Yes, but it's a sample... Sam- <laughs> you have a sample size of one. Right, I know, but uh, it's still it's unfair to say. I mean, of course that's the case, but... We're, we're still in the, within the show's lore right now, and in the show's lore, all we know is the toys. And even with Korra, too. No, Korra they know because Korra can bend all four elements. <laughs> at, like, age five, the elements barging in, like, ah, they have a Avatar! <laughs> you gotta deal with it. Um, like, we know that, we know that they know Roku was the Avatar at some point. Like, he had to have been put through some, like, the, in some way they knew that as well. Um... I don't think this is, like, the only test. I think that this is just one of many things that have probably probably transpired. I'm just... I'm not talking so much about, like, the toys in and of themselves from, like, a critical perspective, but more from, like, philosophically, the a- Avatar is reincarnated um, and retains... And in this case, you're saying, like... Because the, the point they make is Aang chooses the toys because they were familiar, which means that on some level, the... Previous avatars exist, like everything about them, kind of still exists within the within the avatars. And then later on, in in in, in you know back in the uh, Kyoshi episode, like Aang sees the statue and is like, "Hey, look, that's me." And I know in in, in book two of Korra, 
as much as we may wish they'd never existed. Um, Cora would gets the uh, Juan's teapot. She looks at it and immediately says, "My teapot." There's like there is clearly some like more connection than just, "Oh, it's my previous lives." Like it, it feels at times like there's a there is a, a, like, like a that connection is very connection strong to it. Yeah. Like on, on, a, on a much more philosophical level I mean, than just also, don't get me wrong, technically it, true. It makes sense to me how that is a not only a test but a, a, a tell. It makes perfect sense to me, but I, I, I feel like if we're if there's more, there has to be more to it than that. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't personally. I don't have an issue with the toy thing. I mean, think about it mathematically. It's oh. four specific toys out of a, I heard that uh, out of a pool of thousands, right? So, the chance of drawing those four specific toys is at best one in a trillion. It's pretty <laughs> slim odds. I don't know, Charles. Did you see those toys? They were pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> we don't know what the other toys were. <laughs> I well, did these toys were pretty awesome? Okay, unless they have like a toy bazooka or something. Like I'm going for those toys that he had right there. I doubt it. Yeah, so guess what? I'm the next Avatar. Because those are awesome toys. We don't even know what three of them do. What if, but they what look if, cool. Like, what were the odds you just said? What if like those odds actually got hit by the non-Avatar? That would be pretty awkward. <laughs> and that, that, that sounds like the plot of a good show. Like... One where there's an where they think someone's the avatar, but he's not. And they're just you like you need eventually. to un you need to master all four elements. Uh, dude, I I really cannot do fire bending. Oh no no no! You you got it. Just 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 keep working on it. I was like, no, I I really can't. It's like you're the avatar, and you're like, I don't know about mm. this. Who knows? Um, so moving off the toys though, but specifically though, talking about this scene, um, we have the decision to tell Ang that he's the avatar before. Um, he's 16 and of the three avatars that we get to spend legitimate time with um, we see um, Roku finds out on his 16th birthday he's told the process goes as, he's, as it's supposed to Aang is told early because they think war is coming and Korra basically knows she's the avatar from, from birth um, and I think it's just interesting that Clearly, there there is like there's a reason that they aren't telling avatars until they're 16. There there had there has to be that can't just be like a random point. That has to be be something that has existed um, as some form of you know tradition, and and there's a reason for it. And I think that in both Ang and Korra's case, the fact that they found out so early fundamentally has affected their identities and and how they see themselves and their relationship mm-hmm. to the world. Um, I think. Much more so. I mean, I think there's a, a lot to talk about on the, on the side of Korra, but you know that's not not for today. Um, but even on Aang's side, I think that like finding out when he's kind of in between, um, like he's not obviously not yet an adult. He's not yet able to to kind of do you know be completely self sufficient. But at the same time, finding out after he's not just a little kid where he has no life experience. It, it's kind of weird that I think that finding out it's sort of that exact type of moment is important and has really affected Aang's ability to cope with all this, this stuff that's going on. Um, speaking as someone who's like studied child development for, and all that fun stuff, um, fun. the age of 12 in which Aang is told is such a sensitive age for so many different reasons, especially the social 
relationship he has with the world. And like you mentioned, um, he doesn't really have like a real place in the world. He's, he's a 12 year old kid. He hasn't experienced it really for himself. He doesn't make important life decisions. And I think honestly, that's why they wait until they're 16, 16. It's not like the perfect age, but in general, I feel like in this world, especially they, the people grow up a bit faster in it. They, they're just exposed to more different types of situations and 16 itself they they're more familiar with who they are as a person they they're more socially conscious of both themselves and how they relate to others in the world around them it just it's a whole developmental thing um and i feel like that also just plays such a huge part in seeing what um how even um ang's guardian wanted to protect him so desperately he said like I, I need to look out for what's best for him because he recognizes that telling Aang this early, like he's not gonna, he's only gonna just force the identity of Avatar upon himself. And at such a young, vulnerable type of age, that's not really what you wanna put on a person, especially in such a heavy and high position as the Avatar. Yeah. Um, so we get this. Uh, so that that ends, and I, I like that they use specifically the line "storm clowns are gathering." Um, it's just a nice little parallel to the mood of the episode, and like as just as Ang's flashback is starting to turn sort of darker and sadder, like we hear that like storm clouds are gathering, and and just in general, just saying like we need you, Ang, is like a big. Like, yeah, they do, and the world does, but is that what Aang wants to hear? Not really, because that's responsibility. Um, so now we switch back to the ship, and right off the bat with this, I, I like that you can see very quickly how the troops respect Iroh in a way that they don't respect Zuko. And, like, obviously he has a certain stature, but Zuko is the, is the crown prince, so it's not just that. You can tell, like, Iroh has definitely been much you know, more respectful to the crew and therefore commands the respect of respect himself. Um, and I like that a lot. Absolutely. And I think it's also more, obviously it's his personality, but I think he's also general Iroh. Like he has such a reputation. It makes perfect sense how they would respect him more than anyone else. Yeah. Um, so now we start Zuko's flashback and just with Aang, like once again, and, and Corey mentioned this earlier, like there's, you can tell the way, the way it's shot is like sort of has a little bit the, that's similar feel to, to Aang's and, and, and like how they view the past and like the, you know, Zuko kind of seeing this as not exactly the good, the good times because, you know, his mom has, mm-hmm. is gone at this point, but you know, more so than, than <laughs> right now. Yeah. And like you can see it, like young Zuko has this this light and this energy that we completely don't see in him anymore, and we learn why here, obviously. Um, but it's it's important because the fact that this is set up as a as a redemption story for Zuko, it's important to see that like where he came from and and how in the in this point in the story, like uh, in as in the flashback, he he was a good person. He was in in many ways trying to do. A pretty, you know, just just the fact that he wanted to go into the meeting, like it wasn't even a I'm prideful, I'm I'm the prince, I need to go in. It was like I need to learn about 
how to be the best ruler. I need to become the better a better fire lord, and that's why he wants to go in, um, which is really great. Yeah, I, I think that again, this episode really shows like how much Zuko actually at that time before everything went down actually had pride in the fire, like not like the Fire Nation and the cause, and even his dad still. And he wanted to just make his dad proud. It's pretty much like his only motivation up to that point. Mm-hmm. And he says it later on when when he's um, when he confronts I, uh, Ozai later on in um, during the eclipse when he says, you know, growing up we were taught that the Fire Nation was the greatest civilization in history, and it's like you at this point he mm-hmm. definitely believes that. Yep. Um. Quickly on once they enter the meeting room. God, does that meeting room and that war room just look so incredibly cool. cool. You know, the Fire Lord sitting behind this, you know, just wall of fire, the, the, the generals around a table on the map of the Earth Kingdom. It is just unbelievably cool. Just casually sitting behind a wall of fire. No big deal. As the Fire Lord does. You know, that looks cool, but that's got to be pretty impractical, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, it makes no goddamn sense, but it and looks amazing. That's just basically Ozai in a nutshell. <laughs> Here, now here's an interesting question: Do you think the they would have went through with the plan if if Zuko didn't speak out of turn to use that decoy? Well, do uh, we know regiment? that they didn't do it? No, they probably yeah. I think they did, but I'm just like, do you think that like you think? Nothing else. No one would have spoken out. And no other general would have, like, you know, said anything. I don't know. And I, I was actually about... That kind of good to go here because I was about to talk about this. Like, what's interesting is... If I remember we, when we were in the, um, the Avatar Roku episode when they're running the blockade and you had that soldier who or, or, or captain say to Zhao... We shouldn't fire. There's there's one of our own out there, and I thought that was an important moment because it gave a level of humanity to the Fire Nation. What's kind of bizarre about this, like this this general is clearly just an asshole. Like he is an evil human being who has no um, respect for anyone's life. This is entirely about power and entirely about winning at all cost. And I kind of in, like it's kind of weird because in some ways the the fire nation is just raw nationalism it's it's you know not you know the fascism all of the the, the nationalism from um, from world history and a lot of that is built on this national pride and that we're we're the greatest the fire nation is the greatest civilization as I just said and it's almost a little bit weird because in some level there is supposed to be this like amount of national pride this kind of plan feels like a little bit too, even for the Fire Nation, feels a little bit too extreme. It's one thing when you're killing others, but there's something about like killing your own that feels off to me. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure if someone would have spoken up if Zuko, if someone else would have spoken up if Zuko hadn't. Make. That's funny. I disagree, and I might just be saying that because I've been really immersed in like Star Wars lately, but like especially in fiction. And like these fictional universes where these, these giant empires that are just pretty much trying to conquer the world, I think this is like a very common thing. If that makes any sense to you, I'm um, I'm not sure, and and we don't get enough like Fire Nation high command to know. And uh, yes, Ozai, 
Azula, 100%, they would be doing this kind of thing. And and maybe there's, to some level, this is a guy trying to show off a little bit, trying to almost show off his brutality. Um, it just, it shows that there's a very real disconnect between the Fire Nation High Command and the regular soldier. That there is a, that there is a, a, a legitimate difference in... in almost level of just evil but you know what's between funny? those two. I think two. that's also why these people are on the Fire Lord's council. He's ruthless himself and I think he wants this type of brutality and ruthlessness on his uh, on his, you know, his council. Yeah. Yeah, answer. and he does yep. promote Zhao. <laughs> yeah. If that doesn't say anything about his character so. then I don't know what does. <laughs> he actually promote. I believe uh, he promotes Zhao next Zhao. episode if I, if I have my timelines right. Good he, for he does douche, work hard. Good for douchebag Stroking McGee. that Mud fucking mustache. <laughs> yeah. Um, overall, I another thing is just in general. There's there's some really great music cues. Um, I love the, the the cue there at the end of that scene um, to sort of say, "Oh wow, this is bah, this is bah, bad." Bah. Um, now we get to the scene Lindsay was oh, uh, Lindsay wait, was wait, upset wait. about with with our. Oh, go ahead, Charles. Uh, we were talking about whether someone would have spoken out. Are we forgetting that Ira yeah. was at this meeting? Yes, <laughs> we are forgetting about that. Okay. But I don't. I don't think he had any. I don't think he like had any say. I think it was just there out of respect. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know they what didn't Ira's protest his entry, and they let him escort Zuko in. So he's got to have some kind of influence. Well, I figure, At this point. but he is still yeah, the like disgrace. Yeah, still gotta heir. let the original supposed to be king, <laughs> like, and I feel like I don't know. Well, yeah, but then by that interpretation, right? That clearly, he's got power in the meeting room. Also, you could you well, could also I... make the argument that he's the most the most successful general in modern Fire Nation history. Yeah, good way to put it. I. I don't know. Could Iroh have spoken up? I, I don't. I'm really not sure. I mean, hell, maybe he would have. Maybe you know. Maybe, maybe if Zuko, because Zuko was pretty quick to jump up, maybe that you know that was coming. And Iroh does say like Zuko was right, of course, but it was not his place to say that. So it is possible that maybe he would have, or mm-hmm. somebody else would have. It's also possible that Iroh just doesn't have, even though he had, he's still on in the on the War Actual Council. He doesn't say. have the the power anymore to say anything. That you know, maybe you know, he's been disgraced enough yeah. that he doesn't have that anymore. Mm, I guess so. I although I feel like in the in the might makes right nation that the fire nation is, he who exceeds Iroh in personal power. Ozai. I don't know. I mean, other than obviously Ozai, but maybe well, Ozai. Yeah, but I don't even I don't know. Think, I don't think Ozai. No, Ozai. definitely he does not Ozai. like him at all. No, but he doesn't want to conflict with his brother because that's not a sign of strength mm-hmm. either. Yeah, I think that he wants Iroh... I think that having Iroh around is important because mm-hmm. it solidifies his own power. Because if you were to say dispatch Iroh, then there's going to be some... There would be factions who are like, why did you do that? But if Iroh is still there, then there's no... Mm-hmm. that That's taken away. And since it's clear Iroh never really... And not never, but at this point really doesn't want the throne... He's not worried about Iroh, like, overthrowing Yeah, so I, him. I don't think that the same situation would have... Like, had Iroh spoken, I don't think the same, you know, kind of result would have occurred. I, I don't think oh, no, the same result would have like, occurred. you spoke out of turn. 
Oh, no, definitely not. I'm saying that they might very well have been like, thanks, General Iroh, but we're going to do that. Like, I, oh, I just, no, yeah, yeah. No, there's I, a difference I, I between agree. not being allowed to speak and not having enough power to... No, no, no you're change. right. I, I agree on that side. Like, I don't know if... Um, I don't think, like, he his statement would have been like, oh, okay, we must agree with it. But I, I don't think that... Or I, but I think he would have been able to speak out against it for whatever would for whatever token value that has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. That aside, I feel like the sacrificial pawn thing is a just a pretty common war tactic in general mm-hmm. wars from all from all parties, right? Uh. Yeah. yeah it, it's more of just the way he says it. It's like, it's one thing of like, and their sacrifices will be, you know, yes, it's a sacrifice, but war requires sacrifice. It's a much more like, like it almost feels like he's getting a little bit of pleasure out of the idea that these new recruits mm-hmm. are going to all get slaughtered. Can I, can I quickly, like, quote yeah. another show? It's like, um, you can do what in, you want. If you all, if you all know Z- uh, Futurama with Zap Brannigan, like, it's a sacrifice you yeah. guys are willing to make, like, with the kill bots. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like also just kind of hearing that type of like conversation that's happening in the war room like because keep in mind this is a kid show and it just really makes you like as a kid be like whoa war war is fucking brutal man like just oh yeah new recruits slaughter them like (laughs) like it, it kind of yeah, but I I don't know. I don't I think it's just no, go ahead. it's a way of introducing just how harsh war can really be. But I think I, I think it's more than that because I it's again there's there's one thing is like these are people who are going to die and there's another that's like this guy is taking pleasure in that yeah. death. I I just I don't know. It feels so. It's not the decision. I'm not, it's the way. It's it's his. No, yeah. It's the way this guy is clear. Like to me, it just feels like he's taking a lot of perverse pleasure in it, which is a little bit weird to me, considering there should be this amazing amount of national pride in that room. That's all I'm saying. It's not, it's not even a problem. It's just an observation, really. I don't think he's taking pride in it. I think he's taking pride in his plan to like. The, like a, vic- a plan of victory like I'll do anything it takes for us to win and I think he's proud of that I guess I I, I don't know but I, we'll move on from there because I, I don't want to get too bogged down in that um, we switch back over to to the Aang flashback and, and we get our we get our scene Linz was talking about earlier with, with the um, stupid brats with the kids who, who are just being <laughs> like really <laughs> monstrous here I mean I, I on some level I understand what they're saying and and it is important to note that, like, the Avatar is, like, this mythic, you know, but thing. It's this mythic creature to extend. Thing, okay? He's not trained in everything. Like, he he literally just found out who's the Avatar. So you just automatically be like, oh, no, can never play with us again. Like, are you kidding me? No, he taught you how to do this stupid well, air trick. Let him goddamn play with it's you. It's not stupid. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's it's not stupid. It's awesome. I'm just no. very angry at these kids. And if I were their teacher, I would be yelling at no, them. I, <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. But I also, like, I can kind of understand why nope. they feel the way they do. And I think that there is an, I think that there is an importance to 
to, to as I said, like your the avatar is is so important to the story. I, I think that it's important that people treat Aang differently once they find out he's the avatar because if they don't, well then it then why should we care that he's the avatar? Like if if he's going to be that important in the world, people should kind of know that. And I kind of at least I yes, they're terrible and it it really unfortunately affects Aang in a, in a pretty major way. part of the reason why he shouldn't but, be told at such a young age cuz then you get the negative repercussions of social outcast. Yes, oh, that is that child is development. But like I I I think this is like an unpopular opinion here, but I, I mean, at least in terms of the show, everything made sense, and I don't think the kids are. No, evil they're just annoyingly stupid. I think it's a very common. It's realistic. Here's the thing: we're we're judging this right now as twenty-five. No, I I judge the kids always. Actually, like this is, I'm just now. But like, no, forget it. Even if we were watching this as a teenager, these are like ten-year-olds, yeah. and these are how ten. This is yeah, how they're being stupid. Act. Like. <laughs> okay, but yes, yeah, they are. Ten are stupid. There's, and I, I'm agreeing with you, but this is just because it's realistic doesn't mean you can't be annoyed about it. Well, it's funny. The, the it's realism actually made me appreciate it more, and I don't, and I don't have any animosity towards the kids because they're not doing it to hurt Aang. Is what I'm trying to say. They're not trying to hurt Aang. They legitimately think it's not fair if the Avatar plays. And they're not thinking like you are, like he's not trained, he, nothing has changed. Even Aang tried to say it, like, I'm the same person I was yesterday. But these are kids, and they don't think three-dimensionally like that. They're, they're thinking, you're the Avatar, it's an unfair advantage. I don't think you had to think three-dimensionally to not let him play, <laughs> to let him play. Look, there was the... they bullying the, him on purpose. No, no, I understand. What I'm saying is, I don't think you had to think on such a complex level to let him play with you. There was the fucking kid in the- they showed you the shot of the kid in the corner who was <laughs> like, like clearly, <laughs> clearly in dust and a little off. Yeah, you- I know for sure kids know how to balance games around one person being really good and one person being really bad. Like, that's how we pick teams when we're kids for like- dodgeball or soccer or whatever team sport your schools had when you were children schools don't allow dodgeball anymore charles all right well whatever whatever sport your team (laughs) i know so yeah i mean like clearly the kids aren't doing it to be dicks right it's just how you think yeah you've seen also not even just an avatar but just other tv shows when the writers are trying to convey that they're just being bullies for the sake of being bullies. And I, I don't get that vibe here. I think they're just, they really think that what they're doing is fair for the entire game in order for them to have fun. And yeah. I'm, again, I'm not trying I, to justify the kids because I, I think they're right and they should be doing it. I'm saying they're not trying to be assholes. And sure, they come across as assholes to us and they hurt Aang's feelings and he walked away with his head down and we felt empathy towards Aang. But again, like you got, I, I think you got to look at the big picture here. And then to go back on Lindsay's point, like, and this is why they should have told him this early. They didn't want to tell him this early. Circumstances brought them to it. And I think it's like a debate, not really a debate, but a discussion we've had like earlier on, like in the earlier episodes, that like they didn't tell him because they thought they needed. They they, they, they thought that was the last resort. They needed to tell him. So all yeah. Aang getting in the like what happened to Aang is like the perfect storm. No pun intended. Like <laughs> <laughs> destiny. Yeah. 
Yep. Can you imagine a world um, where they hadn't told him? Well, he might be dead. Yeah. I mean, that's it, right? He just... New means... Avatar! Yeah, I, think he would have died. I think he would have died. He'd be dead in some Wait, random water bender would be would Avatar. Be Korra wouldn't be the Avatar? No. It depends on it depends on what you believe about the reincarnation. Either Korra would have been born way earlier or um someone else would be the Avatar. But we don't have a particularly good explanation of how the reincarnation cycle works. Um and I don't really want to get into that now. Um Specifically, though, finishing up uh, this flashback, we get um, Kiatsu trying to cheer Aang up. And specifically, I like the the parallels that are drawn between Aang sitting across from Kiatsu playing Paisho and Aang sitting across from Katara. And it can kind of help to show the transition that, like, at, at that point in his life, Kiatsu was definitely the most important person in Aang's life. And now Katara is the most important person in Aang's Ooh, life. So I think that that's an an important parallel that they're that they're trying to draw and trying to show, um, and I also think that it's a nice sort of preview of Ang's relationship with fire, where even though he's not actually firebending, he um, oh no, sorry, I'm I'm reading my notes and getting ahead of myself. This is uh, that 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 fire is referring to Ozai uh, raising Towards the flames um, when he's pissed off about Zuko, but. The point yeah. still stands. <laughs> that was a thing. Yes, I, I, I will, I will turn. I'll get back to that when the the, the cinders uh, get up. Um, now we go back to Zuko and 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 we get to Zuko's Agni Kai and and obviously this is this is the the most important moment in in Zuko's um, early life with um, you know with him being burned and and how he's forced to fight and forced into this you know just for speaking out of turn and, and how awful it must have been to sort of be in this um to be in this position um can you even yeah. imagine like just turning around thinking you're no. gonna fight like some old general and then there's your dad and he just like watch hits you with fire like that is just like i don't even know there's just so many crazy thoughts that just I think of when I think of that. Yeah. Um, and really, just you know, a ton of we get just a lot of quick jumping between these two stories. Um, and we're back in in the flash in Ang's flashback and the debate we see between Kiatso mm-hmm. and the other Airbending Master about how best to raise Ang and. It, it really is a, cent- a central theme to both this show and to Korra where what is the proper way to rate, to sort of raise the avatar and, and what level of freedom should they have, what level of personal choice should they have versus their own um, responsibilities to the world. And I like that even though it is it does seem that um, Kiatso is, is the one we're supposed to sort of side with because he's the character we know more of, uh, there is an argument to be made on the other side that that you know Aang needs to be learning um, as quickly as possible. He needs to be ready to to save the world. And you know, even though we know that it's important for him to to have freedom and to have a bit of a normal life to to grow up, I can completely understand why people in in, in power who are seeing the world potentially coming apart say, you know what, right now. The world needs more needs this more than Ang's 
development does? Uh, I, I'm very, uh, I dislike that argument a lot. Um, just because he's destined, he must. I, I've never been a fan of that concept, and this is like the most blatant, uh, like, I get it a hundred years later, right, at this point in the show, in real, in you know, the actual timeline of the show, I get it. Like, everything's gone to shit. Mm -hmm. So he really does have to. But back then, it's like, war is on the horizon. Alright, you think the Fire Nation is going to be an aggressor. There are three... Here we are. They have taken colonies. Just okay, they've taken colonies. So, but there are still three fully functioning, well-armed, well-prepared nations left. Two... One one of the nations is completely unarmed, but uh, those staffs are weapons. <laughs> don't, don't lie to yourself. Isn't that a line? Wasn't that a line back in? Oh, it was a soccer line of. Is this a weapon? You can't hit someone. With it. <laughs> well, turns out you can hit people. You can with hit people it. with anything. Yes, you can. <laughs> I I kind of have to go off of what Charles is saying because I I understand that whole argument of. We need him to be the avatar. We need him to protect us. But at the same time, it's you have to look at the tool that you're using for your own purpose. You have to be able to take care of it. It's like, this is going to be so stupid, but let's say you have a shovel, okay? And you need to dig a really big hole. You have to watch that shovel to make sure that it's not going to crack. It's being taken care of. It's... Like, I don't know, like, it, it's the same kind of thing in which, yes, you need Aang to be the Avatar. Like, you need him for the purpose of protecting the world. But at the same time, what good is essentially a broken Avatar? Someone that has no purpose and no real sense of themselves. Because if someone doesn't have a sense of themselves, then I feel like putting the responsibility of essentially protecting the entire world and being the savior... It's, it's not going to work out. And so they're... Honestly, I understand the point of... I, want, I need to do what's best for Aang. And I, and I also understand the counter-argument of... We need to do what's best for us. And honestly, I think both sides... They have their valid points. But at the same time, they also needed to balance each other out. And they just didn't. And the choice of just... But I... Hmm? But I... No, I said I, I think that there. I, I think that the Airbending Masters think that they are balancing that out. That they think that Kiazzo is going too far, and they're gonna. Because I don't think that they're looking at this and saying, "Oh, Ang needs like they want to work Ang." Like they're gonna want to quote unquote break Ang. Like I think that they look at it and say, "We need to to do what's best for the world," and 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 Kiazzo is preventing that from happening. So we're going to put him in a situation where he can he can excel. Training wise, as much as possible. But I don't know. It's well, mm-hmm. I, I understand what you guys are saying, and I and I, I, I certainly I'm not like saying that. Oh, the the other no, yeah. masters were right. I just think that they at least have some bit of an argument. It's, they're not just like being terrible for terrible. There's state. that, but I, I I took it to more of an extreme in that it at that point in time did it matter he was the avatar at all? Why? Yeah. Because 
he's... It matters eventually. I, I mean... Sure. But I understand what you're saying, and, and that's that's certainly true, and there is, like, the sort of, like, what you said before with, de- you know, he's destined to, so he must, but he is the Avatar. Like, it, it's not like he's destined to become the Avatar. He is no, the Avatar. I, I get that, but what I mean is, does him being the Avatar matter at that point in time in the flashback? Is there anything that he as the Avatar could do that they couldn't have done without him? At the... I think their argument is if he's not getting ready, he's not prepared. He's not going he, to be. It's not about use. doing something right now. It's about being prepared as quickly as possible. I mean, keep in mind that we've we do know it's not as simple as just oh, it's going to take him six months. Like it's supposed to take him like years and years to get ready and if they can do something to speed up that process a little bit that you know the difference between it taking him 20 years to get ready and taking 10 years to get ready that's a pretty big difference well to be fair what they were gonna do probably wouldn't have sped up the process that much shipped him off to the east no but they believe it that yeah oh no i get that but what i'm saying is even irrelated to that um had say I guess we we have no idea how the hundred year war went then that's Mm -hmm. I guess kind of the crux of my argument so it's on pretty shaky grounds to begin with but you know we we say it a lot Aang's 12 right there's no way you can properly prepare someone of that age to be a a combatant and deal with all of the non-physical uh, issues related to that. And then it's like, it's not like everybody else in the world is are uncapable, uncapable, incapable bleh, of, you know, combat, right? Like, I get a hundred years later, the Fire Nation has basically taken over all of the world except for kind of parts of the Earth Kingdom. Um, and even there, you could make an argument that they basically did it. And then, yeah, okay, you need some, like, miraculous uh, circumstance, and it's necessary, it's required. A hundred years ago, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm pretty sure, like, had they decided, okay, we'll leave Aang out of it, we'll coordinate with everybody else, like, it, he didn't, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying. Um... So I I do want to just leave it there though because yeah, we're, we're pretty pretty long at this point, um, and we get um, one just quick aside. I want to say I'll be very quick on this. That I like that Ang would be sent to the Eastern Air Temple, and that's where he eventually receives his final quote unquote mm-hmm. final trading in the Avatar state, even though it doesn't go well. It's kind of an interesting uh, tidbit there. Um, and what I was saying before with I like that the hot cinders that he raises up even though he's not firebending we can see how dangerous fire is and see how dangerous mm-hmm. ang is in relation to fire um i like that a lot um switching back to the the other uh flashback um and we get the the final scene here um i love the the shot uh very similar to, to before with seeing the power of ozai standing over a helpless zuko uh the lighting is perfect it's just that is mm-hmm. such an amazing shot um and, and, and scene there um and in general, I, I also, Azula is there, and yes. oh, it's such a small detail, but I love it. Her it's doing like, that evil a, the look on her face, of like, like <laughs> my brother got burnt. We have no idea who this character is, but oh my god, it's amazing. Um, 
That being said, I don't understand what Zhao is doing there. It makes no damn sense why he's in, like, why he'd be sitting with Iroh and Zula. He's not that important in the military at this point. He hasn't been promoted. Like, the, 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 the Zula one, great little Easter egg, great little, like, tidbit there that's small, but I love it. The Zhao one, I don't know. I don't know why he's there. I just think, they, oh, they wanted to have a familiar face, and it doesn't really do anything for me. Um, and also just the lighting for that final burn um, is just incredible where, you know, you don't actually show it, but you just, you show it with the lighting um, is a really, really cool choice. Yeah. Um, so one last um, kind of major topic I want to talk about. Um, this is clearly a very public duel. How in the world do the people on the ship not know about it? Yeah. How is that, like, does that... Does that make no, as little I, sense I to you guys as it makes that to me? The entire time, considering these guys are military, and I feel like also, like I understand that Zuko is exiled, but at the same time, when you're in the military and you're working with an exiled prince, I feel like you're not like the like dreads of the earth soldiers. You know what I mean? Like these are these are legit soldiers. Like they've been in the military, they know what's going on, and I feel like. For something as big a deal as this Agni Kai and the entire story of Zuko being disgraced, if you're in the military, you know what's happening. Like, it's like it just didn't make. I mean, we know that peep randoms yeah. in the Earth Kingdom exactly. have heard about and that yet, he like, was his burned in the Like that, that seemed a bit too much of the creators being like. Let's make Zuko story time. Like, it was just, I don't know. And, like, I'd be, yeah, I agree. I'd, I'd be totally okay with, like, Iroh explaining the backstory. Like, they know that he was burned, but they don't really yeah. know why. That's okay. That's fine. They don't know the details. But it's like, oh, I thought he was hurt yeah. in a training accident. Like, <laughs> what do you think you're doing right now? Like, you're on a ship yeah. with him chasing the Avatar. Did you not ask, why are we doing this, guys? Like, what's the... I don't know that that kind of made yeah, very little sense. I was amazed how they me. didn't yeah, have was... any knowledge of any kind of like the backstory at all. Hmm. It was kind of yeah. out there. Um, you could justify it by saying yeah. that Suko got burned, and then they immediately put the ship together and set off. So while other people would know eventually, the crew he was with on the ship wouldn't because they immediately left. It was a public display, I... but it wasn't that public. Like, it was not in a stadium, right? They held this in a pretty enclosed area, and... There were Azula fans. was a huge fan. There was a crowd. Well... I, I don't know. I just... I, I'm, it's not a It's mm. not a big deal. It's just... I, I don't... It's just one little thing yeah. I just don't particularly understand. Um, and, and since this episode does hinge very much on, like, these two stories are being told... There is a little bit of me that's like, are why exactly is this story is Zuko's story being told? Obviously, for the audience, mm -hmm. we need it. I, I and it, it's great. It just specifically the reasoning within the show kind of is a little bit shaky. Yeah, no, I agree. I um, agree. I mean, they could have done it with him just uh, meditating and reflecting on that point in his life. Yeah, that was also yeah. yeah. There, there are ways they could have done it, but it 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 works. It's just a small thing. Um, I also think that it's interesting um, from a from the Fire Nation's perspective. As much as Ozai is a terrible person and a terrible father, there is a level of like, you know, you see his son bowing down and you know, 
showing weakness and that if the power of this totalitarian government is built on everyone you know strength in in in, in the fire lord I, you can kind of understand why ozai is as brutal as he is that he need he needs to display strength in order to keep his power and you know obviously i think there's a part of him that always wanted to banish zuko and make azula the heir and all the you know all the dad issues that we get there but i think that there is a small interesting little bit of like again totalitarian government dictating them mm-hmm. to do certain things a certain way mm-hmm. um the last bit on zuko um i like the the picture and and the, the sort of idyllic look of the past and we, we'll see that that little scene again with him chasing after his father and 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 that picture in the beach episode uh, of book three that i think is really really cool um and just again showing like what zuko thought his childhood was like and then eventually realizing what it actually was like and what he needs to be um again um also we get our first bit of redirection of light yes and so unbelievable i also just liked his expression Um, after just like oh wow (laughs) he just looks so like shocked and surprised with himself yeah i'm talking about um plot points uh how did the old i wondered the same exact thing i I was like lady Katara had to fly a flying bison to somehow find Aang, and she, you're she just the, like, oh, she was let the me screen go through a giant typhoon. Oh, there you are, young children in the cave. She she was the screenwriter being like, you guys need to go. The, the next part of the plot's over there. You need to go. <laughs> I, it didn't make sense, but I mean, whatever. we saw yeah. that there's a path Not... to the cave on foot. And it's kind of yes. easy to track the giant flying bison, even in any weather. It's not the exactly hard. I... Yes, Charles. <laughs> okay. Sure. Sure. Um, all right. So this episode so so uh, wraps up. I like the Zuko and, and Aang mm-hmm. eyeing each other as they fly away. Oh, um, yeah. That shot was yeah. amazing. That was, that was a, just an amazing shot. And also, um, I have to say... Katara is like, oh, Ang, you are not going to have those nightmares anymore. You're good. It's like, I really don't think it's <laughs> not as there simple yet. as that, Katara. Not there yet. But it's important that we're not there yet because this is not no. a one episode <laughs> level problem. This is a the entire show level problem. We'll be done with this. Uh, well, we actually aren't done with it yet. It's um, even though he's dead, we're still not done resolving these issues. <laughs> Never done. <laughs> All right. So we're an hour and 30 minutes in. Oh, so wait. we're going to wrap this Real up. Quick. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> yeah. um, All right, Charles, go ahead. No, it's just that we see Aang going through the storm, right, trying to find Sokka and the old man. I really appreciate how they mirror the situation mm-hmm. with uh, Appa get, almost getting overwhelmed by a wave of water. The first time around, he just gets swamped. I mean, in the flashback, he gets swamped by it. And it's a reflection of his, you know, I'm running away, I don't really want to deal with my problems or my issues right now. And, you know, yeah. now he blows a hole through it, and it's like symbolically, oh, well, I'm still not ready, but I'm going to at least start trying. I'm going to keep uh, going He's not ready, because he does go, yeah, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to start trying. Yeah. Move forward. Yeah, no, I think that, that that's definitely very important, and that's that's kind of where this end, episode ends on. All right, so now actually we're going to, to wrap this up. Um, we've done quite a bit of episode discussion, so um, let's keep our 
final thoughts relatively brief and give our ratings. Um, so, Corey, why don't you just start us off, give your quick final thoughts, and then your rating on this episode. Um, this is definitely one of my favorite episodes of book one, and in all of Avatar, I want to piggyback off that. Um, it is an episode that really, really, if you didn't already see that Zuko has potential to be a really good person, this is the episode that solidifies it. I mean, thinking back, you guys are kind of right. Like, the soldiers not knowing is kind of silly in retrospect. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a, it doesn't derail the episode for me. They, they, they are there to be us. They are there for Iroh to tell Zuko's backstory. And I don't think Iroh would have another chance to really tell the backstory in a, an efficient way. So it was more of just an efficiency thing for me. Um, and I thought it was actually a very nice touch that the men at the end of it all especially with Zuko doing what he did to like, have a total respect for him now. And I, I think that's just like a huge leap forward from where we were at the beginning of the episode. And seeing all of Aang's stuff was wonderful. Um, seeing there was not just one thing that drove Aang to run away. There was a multiple things. And now you, you just saw the cascade amount of guilt that's been causing Aang all these nightmares. Like You see why he's just tortured all the time and uh, everything was just brought to light. Um, so overall, when it's all said and done, this is definitely a, a 9.8. This is really one of the best episodes of Avatar and just really good television. Okay, Linz. Um, kind of like in the beginning, like I mentioned, it's just it's a good balance of showing different sides to the two main characters of Zuko and Aang in which you never really consider them. You see, um, you see a side to... Zuko that really lets you understand more about his character why he is the way he is how he's come to this point and it just really lets you delve a lot deeper into his character which I really appreciated and then the way that that whole storyline again kind of balances out with Aang's I thought was just really good in which it it also shows a deeper side to Aang's problems and the reasons why exactly he's running away from being Avatar. And it it's just wonderful storytelling, like the way it's like put together and balances out and of course beautiful as always. And so I think for that and every reason I said previously throughout the whole entire podcast, I'm gonna have to give this episode a nine point six. Okay. Charles. Um uh, I don't really have much to say in conclusion <laughs> relative to what we've relative yeah. to what we've all That's totally said already. Yeah. Um, just I love the framing of the episode. Although in hindsight, I do wish that um, prior episodes had shown us Aang's like nightmares a little mm-hmm. more, not like actual scenes, because I think it's important that it was here and that it was so like vivid here. Um, but more the fact that we never see him have trouble sleeping before. Small points. Mm-hmm. Um, in the episode itself, I, I love that it's back and forth between Aang and Zuko. Those are some of my favorites, just like the opening. Um, I love that it delves well into both characters' uh, backstories and has us. It shows us, like, you know, they weren't always the way they are, right? They are actually human. You know, they're growing, they're changing, they're based on what's happened to them, what is happening to them. Um, and they get scared and 
messes up just like regular people. It's not just like, oh, he's, the, you know. So, yeah. And then the artistry, the animation, all of that was amazing. Um, I, I'm going to give the episode a nine and a half. It could be higher, but there are other, there are some episodes later on that I want to give like a, you know, nine, eight, nine, or a ten. So, mm-hmm. have to balance it out with those. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, I, I agree with all of you guys. I think this episode is, I think it's definitely the best episode that we've seen so far. Um, I think that they do some really incredible things. Um, and, I mean, we spent, you know, an hour and a half just gushing over it. Um, you know, two very minor problems with it that are, you know, not particularly big deals, but they are there. Um, so I'm going to give this episode a 9.5 as well with uh, with Charles. Um, I think it's it's definitely the best episode that we've seen so far. Um, and, and but I do think that we are getting a pretty good run of episodes coming up, so we'll probably be seeing some continually high ratings. Um, so yeah, so thanks for uh, for tuning in, and thank thank you guys for being on the panel today. I know this was a long one, um, but I'm glad uh, glad we did it. This is a very you know important episode. Um, so as always, you can follow us on Twitter at um, Antwu underscore Pod. Uh, you can leave comments in iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I know we are up on Stitcher now. Ooh, if you, Stitcher. Uh, that's where you want to get our podcast as well. Um, so that's great. Um, thank you guys for uh, for listening, and we should be uh, back next week with the Blue Yay! Spirit, I believe, is the next episode. So once again. <laughs> Love it. Yes. So once again, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys.